I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa Simone, And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on the U.S. federal tax gap. According to the Government Accountability Office, U.S. taxpayers fail to pay hundreds of billions of dollars in taxes every year. This tax gap, which captures the difference between taxes owed and taxes paid, has persisted for decades. In today's episode, we discuss the sources of the tax gap in the U.S., what it means for government operations, and how we can best close it. Hello, Lisa. Hello, B. Today we're talking about the tax gap, which is not, in fact, a nerdier version of the clothing store, The Gap. Okay, but why not? Why has no one come up with that business plan yet? Are you coming up with that business plan? Are you proposing a, I guess, what would that be, a clothing store for tax nerds? I mean, I think if you can propose a theme park for tax nerds, then yes, I can propose a clothing store for tax nerds, and that is, in fact, what I'm doing. Okay, I'll I'll allow it. Continue. So I guess it would be sort of like the gap in the 90s. Lots of khaki pants Mm -hmm. and people dancing on TV in said khakis. Yes. Um, Skirts and button downs and the occasional cardigan, because you know I love a good cardigan. Who doesn't? Matt Eagie. Matt Eagie is who doesn't love a good cardigan. (laughs) We had to explain to Matt in the PhD program what a cardigan was. Okay. Point, point, Point being, yes, that I believe that you are correct in a tax a nerdy tax version of The Gap would have all of those things. Um, fun fact. Okay. Did you know, as a Northern California person, that The Gap was founded in San Francisco in 1969 by a real estate investor named Don Fisher, and he wanted to call the store, wait for it, Pants and Discs. Oh, dear. But his wife convinced him to call it The Gap instead. Because women are smarter than men? Uh, in this instance, 100%, Yes. So what was the idea behind pants and discs? I'm almost afraid to ask. So glad you did ask though. So apparently the idea was not just to sell khakis and jeans, as you said, but they were also going to sell records and tapes. Okay, because it was the 60s and back then you could actually touch your music. I think depending on what you had done earlier that day, you could probably think that you could touch a lot of things, see your music, (laughs) touch your music, yes, Um, exactly. So I think it's a good thing that she talked him out of that name because if we were thinking about Gap in the modern day, I think the modern day version of that would be something like joggers and audiophiles. Okay. And that just doesn't have the same ring to it. It does not. Um, Also, what are we talking about again? It's unclear. Okay, great. I think the plan was to talk about the U.S. tax gap. Yes. Um, So what is that? That's the estimated difference between the amount U.S. taxpayers owe in tax and the amount that they voluntarily pay on time each year. And there we go again with the word voluntarily. Yes. Sorry. Which is used very loosely. Loosely. Here. Yes. Okay. For 2014 through 2016, um, that's the latest period that we've analyzed the tax gap. The IRS estimated the annual average tax gap was about $500 billion per year. Taxpayers owed about $3.3 trillion annually and actually paid only about $2.8 trillion on time each year. All right. So let's think about that. This doesn't seem terrible. 2.8 out of 3.3 trillion collected on time. That's about 85%. Okay. That's a solid B plus. And although it's difficult to obtain data on compliance rates in other countries, it's hard to know what the tax gap is in other countries. The rumor on the street is that the U.S. is generally viewed as a relatively high compliance country. 
Some estimates put the UK and other European countries at compliance rates in the upper 70s where we're at 85%. So nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Okay, two thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. First, um, it's hard for any country to estimate the tax gap, Yes, I think, right? I mean, it's inherently something that we don't observe directly. We don't know exactly how much people are underpaying. Okay, second thing, it sounds like you're saying that the US is actually doing something good from a tax perspective. I'm hesitant to say that, but it does, apparently that is what that statistic is telling us. Okay. Now, it was not lost on me when you were describing the U.S. tax gap. You said the word estimated twice. Mm -hmm. And then in your response a second ago, you said estimate again. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about that point you just made. Why do we have to estimate the tax gap? Yeah, exactly. So the IRS has to estimate it because we don't know for certain how much income taxpayers should have reported and paid tax on. It's not as if tax cheats, you know, fill out a tax return and report all of their income and then attach a blank check that says, I'm not paying suckers. But it would be really cool if they did. Cool and maybe not the greatest way to try to not pay tax. Not subtle. Not subtle. So um, what they actually do most likely is just not report all of their income. And the IRS can't know exactly how much income they are not reporting and associated tax that they're therefore missing out on. Okay, roger that. So the tax gap is all about estimating the non-compliance that results in taxpayers paying less than their quote, true tax. And that tax gap has three parts. So bear with me for a second. The first is what we call the non-filing tax gap. And that's the tax that you didn't pay on time because you didn't file your return on time. Okay, so that's a timing issue. Exactly. Number two is what we call the underreporting tax gap. And this is, I think, where most of the meat is. That's understatement of tax on timely filed returns. That's what I was just talking about, about you don't report as much income as you actually have. Absolutely. Okay. And then number three, we've got what we call the underpayment gap. That's the amount of tax reported on a timely filed return. So you filed the return, you reported all your income, but you didn't pay your tax on time. You're delinquent. Exactly. Okay. And each of those three things can be further broken down by income and taxpayer type. Perhaps not surprisingly, the biggest part of that tax gap, as we've talked about, Mm -hmm. is the underreporting gap. The latest IRS report estimates the underreporting gap at about 80% of the total gross tax gap. Okay, so yes, that's clearly in the majority here. Yes. But there you go again with your adjectives. Why did you say gross tax gap this time? Because it's like, ew, David. Ew, Ew. David. Ew. Yes. um, Actually, no. Gross tax gap is the amount of tax not paid on time, which is what we are going to refer to today as just the tax gap to keep things simple. That's the 500 billion annually that we were just talking about. But then there's also this thing called the net tax gap, which is the gross tax gap less any other payments that come late, either because somebody realizes that they owed this money or as the result of IRS enforcement actions. That's about 430 billion, which means that most of the gross tax gap remains uncollected even after IRS enforcement actions. The estimated gross tax gap attributable to underreporting was about $398 billion. Now, conveniently, the IRS breaks down the tax gap even further by taxpayer type. Ooh. And the biggest offenders are individuals those bastards. Not corporations. Mm. Individuals make up almost 70% of the underreporting gap. Large corporations make up only about 6%, and the rest comes from small corporations, employment taxes, and everybody's favorite, the estate tax. Okay, let's just back up a second here. Let's do it. 
large corporations, mm-hmm. only 6%. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we're squabbling over 6%. We are. All of these make corporations pay taxes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the Democrats talking point, right? Yes. Massive corporate greed and corporate tax fraud, all which is things. not actually a thing. No. <laughs> and it's all over 6%. 6%. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so legit question. Why? 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 Are, are Democrats just always talking about massive corporate greed and tax fraud when it's only 6%? It's a good question. And I'm going to do my best here to not be snarky and be sincere when I give an answer. <laughs> okay. Now I'm really scared. We're going to see how this goes. So if I'm being sincere, I can think of two possible answers. Okay. First, that 6%, it might be a little bit deceptive because we're talking about aggregate dollars here, right? Okay. And there are just fewer large corporations than there are individuals. And if you look at how much uh, tax revenue large corporations contribute, it's less than 10% of all tax revenues, which is far less than what individuals contribute. So again, just in raw, raw dollar terms, the tax gap attributed to corporations should be smaller, even if they're cheating. Okay. Second, it's probably harder for the IRS to estimate when a corporation is underreporting its income and by how much. So it's possible that the portion of the tax gap that we're attributing to corporations may be less reliable than the one for individuals. Okay. So those are the two. That was my attempt to be sincere. Now I'm done with that. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say, but the estimated voluntary compliance rate for individuals is only 79%, whereas it's about 88% for corporations. Okay. Also, as you just alluded to, many large corporations are publicly traded and audited by financial statement auditors, which adds a set of eyes to the situation and probably makes it harder for them to underreport. And I think I'm just going to put words in your mouth and say almost impossible to commit tax fraud. Yes. Um, that extra monitoring of corporations is super important because it's really easy to underreport income when only one party is obligated to report it. So that's you as a contractor, as an individual, somebody pays you something, they don't have to report it to the IRS if it's below a certain amount. Yep. And you, I suppose, get to choose whether you're going to be honest or not. Voluntary. Voluntary. Okay. That's the meaning behind the word. Sure. On the flip side, it's much harder to underreport income when multiple parties, particularly unrelated parties, are obligated to report it. And much of the individual underreporting gap is attributable to income that is subject to little or no information reporting. That's the contractor income. Very little of the gap is attributable to information subject to substantial information reporting, things like wages and salaries, that your employer is obligated to report to the IRS. And so it doesn't make sense for you to underreport it because they know it's there anyway. Exactly. So as you just said, if, you're an em- if you have an employer, it's hard to underreport your income. Spoiler alert, corporations don't have employers. Mm. Duh. And the vast majority of their income is not subject to third party reporting. Okay. So to estimate the corporate tax gap, the IRS relies on information about audited corporations and tries to extrapolate what they've learned from that population to the entire universe of corporations. Okay. Because audit rates of large corporations have dropped recently, and as corporations become more adept at avoiding additional tax assessments, both of those things together make it more difficult for the IRS to detect underreporting. And estimates of the corporate tax gap as a result could be becoming less reliable and possibly understated over time. So the IRS cautions that the tax gap it reports is the best possible estimate given available data. The estimates don't capture the full extent of potential noncompliance because of a lack of data regarding noncompliance through activities like offshoring investments, digital assets, crypto, 
income from partnership and S corporations, and on top of that, corporate noncompliance. The estimate also excludes any tax gap associated with illegal activities because the government's goal is to actually stop the illegal activity and not to collect taxes on it. That's um, a surprisingly logical position for our government to take. Kind of. Uh, the IRS does tell taxpayers that you should report income from illegal activities, oh, yeah. such as money from drug dealing. Sure, yeah. On your Form 1040. Yes. Uh, and taxpayers might actually have to file a Schedule C and pay self-employment tax on such activities. Uh-huh. Yep. I'd be rolling my eyes, except that this is how uh, we've put some criminals in jail is for tax fraud, for not reporting the income on their illegal activities. Very true. Now that we've talked a bit about what the tax gap is and how large it is, let's talk about why we care. So B, question for you, who cares? Again, I'm being tested, but I'm gonna try to be sincere here. Who are you? So for starters, at least some politicians care. So our good friend, Senator Ron Wyden, who is chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, he cares. Is he our friend? He is. Okay. Love Ron. Uh, in April 2023, IRS Commissioner Daniel Werfel, uh, not to be confused with former University of Florida Heisman winning quarterback Danny Werfel. Was not going to make that mistake. So Daniel Werfel testified before the committee about the IRS's budget and performance. And Senator Wyden started his Q&A with a discussion of the tax gap. He referenced a comment by former IRS Commissioner Charles Reddig during his hearing in 2021 that the tax gap could actually be as large as $1 trillion each year. Okay, that's twice the estimate. Twice the estimate. He attributed the underestimate to the exact things we mentioned before, missing or inadequate data about tax evasion through digital assets, pass-through entities, and offshore accounts, much of which is attributable to the top 1% of individual taxpayers. And to be entirely clear, Ron Wyden is a Democratic senator, and Chuck Reddick is appointed by Donald Trump and actually wrote an op-ed in Forbes prior to his confirmation defending Trump for not releasing his tax returns. So the point here is that we have bipartisan acknowledgement that the tax gap is likely larger than currently estimated, and that's largely attributable to the wealthiest of taxpayers. And a large tax gap is a bad thing because taxes fund spending. Yes, the U.S. isn't collecting all the tax it is legally owed, that means the government either has to spend less or borrow more, or I guess a third option would be to raise taxes on the people who actually do pay the taxes they owe. Or all of the above. Or all of the above. <laughs> okay. $500 billion to a trillion a year in lost tax revenue is not pocket change. No. The U.S. could do a lot with that money. Okay. I have an idea. Oh, dear. So, you know, I love to shop. I do. Um, I also love game shows. Okay. So we're going to go old school. Do you remember back in the day? Did you ever watch Wheel of Fortune? You oh, didn't? yeah. Okay. So back in the day, you didn't just win the cash. You got to shop. Oh. And they would your face would be in this little bubble as you like floated past these different themed. I don't remember this. Yes. You, you didn't get to keep the money. You had to spend the money on prizes that they had on wow. set. Wow. Okay. Quick, quick shout out to Pat Sajak, who just announced he's retiring. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's like the end. They should just cancel the show. I think they should, because we all I, saw what happened after Bob Barker left The Price is Right. You don't like Drew Carey? I, I mean, it's not Bob Barker. Well, no. End of story. We're going to do it. We're going to go shopping. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to split the difference. Yes. Between 500 billion and a trillion. And we're going to pretend that I won $750 billion with my incredible puzzle solving ability. Okay. Tell me, Pat Sajak. 
Ooh. What can I buy the U.S. government in the showcase with my winnings? I don't know. I'm retiring. <laughs> okay, Vanna. Vanna. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let's see here. $750 billion. All right. A year of national defense. Ooh. $742 billion is the going price for that based on fiscal 2021 expenditures. Okay. I'm not super into war. So what else do you have, Vanna? Uh, do you like healthcare? I do. I do. All right. You could purchase Medicare for $689 billion or Medicaid for the bargain price of $521 billion. Nice. Okay. Um, how do you feel about debt? Don't like it. You could pay off a year of interest on the national debt for $352 billion. Okay. These are lots of good choices, but before I commit, I want to know all my options. So can you talk to me about education, free lunch, things for the kiddos? Oh, the kiddos are cheap. (laughs) You could fund nationwide free lunch for only 30 billion each year. Um, The Department of Education's budget is only 175 billion annually. You could triple that. Or my favorite, you could close three quarters of the federal deficit. So I just solved our debt ceiling crisis. You're welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is that the tax gap negatively impacts government operations. Yes. We could do a lot with 500 billion or a trillion dollars. Yes. We don't get to have nice things like food for children and decent salaries for public school teachers if we don't collect all of the taxes that we owe. Okay, so $500 billion question Mm -hmm. here. How do we close the tax gap? Well, uh, fortunately, the Government Accountability Office has lots of ideas, many of which relate to things other than enhanced enforcement, which is good news for the Republicans in Congress Hmm. who are very worried about the audit rate of individuals increasing. Okay. Um, Bad news for Congress is that one of the recommendations to close the tax gap is to make the tax code less complex. Mm -hmm. And um, that's bad news for Congress because that's Congress's job, not the job of the IRS. The GAO notes how tax code complexity imposes record-keeping, planning, computing, and filing requirements on taxpayers and can lead to errors and underpaid taxes. So the growing gig economy also increases the likelihood of errors and unintentional noncompliance because workers are just trying to navigate Mm -hmm. the exceptional complexity of our self-employment tax system in the U.S. in order to try their best to compute their taxes that they owe and not always succeeding. And if we're going to have a complex tax code, which it seems like we are, Mm -hmm. then another option, an alternative to enforcement would just be improving taxpayer services. Okay. So that if you were one of those gig workers trying to do it right, I see. you could actually get help computing your tax liability uh, by calling the IRS and getting someone to help you out. It could also possibly mm-hmm. be a good idea to fund the IRS's creation of a free filing system. No, that's just crazy talk. Um, we could use better and more complete third-party reporting. Yep. So especially for those self-employed individuals that we talked about could choose to underreport that income that's not currently being reported. And so that just leaves greater enforcement. So we could have more audits, but not of individuals making less than $400,000 in small businesses, because that's the promise that Democrats have made. Yes. And we in particular need more targeted audits of taxpayers in the tip top, tippity top of the income distribution. 100%. So again, if we want to close the tax gap, which I think the IRS does, they really don't have that much of an incentive to go after taxpayers making less than $400,000 a year. True. Research from IRS employees and others estimates that underreported income as a fraction of true income is about 7% in the bottom half of the income distribution, 
but 21% among taxpayers in the top 1% of the income distribution. Yowzer. What's more, about 29% of that underreporting relates to what we call sophisticated evasion, such as offshore accounts, pass-through entities that is not easily detected in random audits. And to be clear, the top 1% of earners make around $600,000. So again, those making under $400,000 would be safe under this strategy of targeting those high earners. And the reason that the underreporting of these high income individuals is harder to detect is because it's more complex and sophisticated. So to close this portion of the gap, we need not only more audits, but more sophisticated targeted audits. And if you think that is going to be costly, you're right. Uh huh. And that, dear listeners, is why the IRS needs more money, not to buy guns, not to audit small businesses and middle-income taxpayers, but to improve services and resources for all taxpayers who are trying their best to comply and to enhance enforcement to crack down on the sophisticated, complex tax evasion of those taxpayers who are trying their best not to comply. I mean, it seems so simple. All right, time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I've been sincere this episode. Yes. And now I'm going to be positive. Okay, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop, and you just came right back at me with more sincerity. I just, I'm, I'm just a happy, happy, sincere person. It's clearly summer break. It is. Yes. It's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. <laughs> I slept 12 hours last night. Um, so I do have a good thing to say. Bring it. You know what? I have a great thing to say. Okay, Good, because half a trillion of underreported taxes sounds pretty bad to okay. me. The great thing okay. is that we know, or we, we have an idea, that it's estimated to be half a trillion dollars. Yes. It is a great thing that the IRS puts forth the effort to estimate the tax gap so that we can have some idea of the scope of the problem. They don't have to do that. That's true. And it is sort of impressive um, because it would, let's be honest, it would look a lot better for the IRS if they just said, yep. We are collecting it all. Exactly. There's look, no tax gap. It's look zero. How, look how awesome we are. We're so efficient. Yes. Okay. So thank you, IRS. The bad, from my perspective, is that underreporting is skewed so heavily mm. toward the top end of the income distribution. Yeah. Not all taxpayers are playing the same game, if you even want to call it a game, um, which would be the topic of our next episode, the tax game we're going to create, a board game for game nights. I'm thinking adult game. I don't think it's for kids. No, it's not for kids. No. I love this. Okay. Pla okay. Planting the seed out there. Yes. Dear listeners. Wheels are starting to turn. Um, so if most of your income comes from being an employee, as we've said, you're virtually foreclosed from underreporting your income because of that third party reporting we talked about. I can't walk into the University of Texas's HR department and ask them not to report my salary to I the mean, IRS. I mean, you could. I could. Probably get fired. <laughs> I might get fired for that. It's not going to happen. It's only those individuals with lots of investment income, self-employment income, offshore accounts, pass-through investments, sophisticated, complex stuff. And in some cases, they even achieve these things by hiring high-priced tax advisors who can so that they can get away with it. 100%. Uh, so that's definitely the bad, is that we basically almost got like a, like a dual, like a two-tier tax system. A two-tiered board game. Two-tier. Yes. You're endowed with either an income yes. of less than 400000 yes. or of more than. 
and one of the things you could collect, you could uh, you could win tax advice yes. for a year. Yes. You could get audited, you get sent back five spaces. Yes. We're doing this. You could start your own business. We're doing this. In the Cayman Islands. Okay. Do you think it's already been done? We will be Googling this later. Absolutely. Um, okay, so good is the IRS estimates it and we're gonna have a tax board game. Yes. Uh, bad is that we've got this two-tiered system where- That we are gonna make into a game, yes. And it does seem to be, maybe we could say that it's mandatory, maybe tax return compliance is mandatory for some part of the distribution and only and voluntary for another part of the distribution. I, okay, we're, we're, ta- we're putting a pin in the voluntary word. I'm, go- it's just, I'm know, going with it. Whatever. Um, so that leads us to the ugly, which once again, unfortunately, is how politicized tax enforcement has become in this country. Mm. Uh, we won't stop talking about the IRS enforcement problem because Republicans won't stop talking about it. Oh, sure. Blame the Republicans. I'm going to. Okay. Um, they just, they will not stop saying that the IRS is being weaponized to harass middle income taxpayers and small businesses. Uh, and you know what? Here we go. Guess what? Mm. I agree. I agree, Republicans, that targeting small businesses and middle income taxpayers is a terrible use of IRS resources. Sure. Yeah. There is no argument there. No. Literally. Nobody is arguing the other way. No. (laughs) So just let's put that out there. But saying that you don't want the money to go to that doesn't mean that you shouldn't give them any money. True. It means you should give them money and require, as is your right, that those resources be used to enhance taxpayer services and more targeted audits of high income taxpayers. So let's go back to Commissioner Werfel's recent testimony. Senator Ron Wyden essentially said Congress needs to fund the IRS adequately if the first priority is to make it harder for wealthy tax cheats to get away with breaking the law. So is that the Republicans' first priority? Uh, yeah, that's where it all falls apart, right? So if you want more targeted audits of high-income taxpayers, you could give IRS money and yes. tell them to do that. Yes. But I don't believe Republicans want to do that. Hmm. Um, it's not politically palatable to say you want to defund the IRS so that wealthy taxpayers continue to evade tax. So instead, Republicans keep at it with these dog whistles about an army of IRS agents coming to destroy Main Street USA. In April of 2023, House Republicans proposed the Limit Save Grow Act of 2023 that would claw back most of the extra funding the IRS received through the Inflation Reduction Act, all in the name of rolling back Democratic handouts for the wealthy. Um, and replacing it with Republican handouts for the wealthy? Effectively, yes. Um, because by all estimates, those who benefit when the IRS has fewer resources are, wait for it, the wealthy. So it's just nonsense. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that repealing the additional IRS funding will actually increase the deficit by $120 billion. And guess what we've done with that debt ceiling deal? We've repealed some of the additional IRS funding. Okay, so I have a request. Okay. Not to you. So you can't actually fulfill this or, or anything. But I'm just gonna put it out into the universe. Great, I'm just gonna go put the kettle on because clearly I'm not of any no, use I'm not, here. I'm not, talk, 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 no, I'm talking to you anymore. Can we just, can we stop lying? Can 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 politicians stop lying? Is that, am I asking a lot? You can't even say it with a straight face. No, I can't. But how nice would it be if politicians could just say what it is that you want to do transparently and then let the rest of us debate the merits of that action. If only it were that simple. I mean, this is all lipstick on a pig. Lipstick and maybe some khakis from the app. Oh, and a nice cardigan. Yes, can't forget the cardigan. A pig and a cardigan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all we have time for today. 
Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses.